It's time once again for the Cover Crop Strategies podcast. Great to have you with us as always. I'm your host, Noah Newman. Thanks to our sponsor, Verdesian Life Sciences. This week, we are headed to Minnesota to catch up with no-tiller Myron Silling, who's been using cover crops in his operation for over a decade now. Let's waste no time. Without further ado, here's Myron. We're located in very southeast Minnesota, half mile from Iowa and 10 to the Mississippi. So down here in God's country in the hills and valley. Uh, I farm with my brother, Michael, and uh, my dad helps him fill in where he can. We are a no-till operation, have been since early 90s, uh, and we incorporated cover crops into our system. In 2013 was our first shot with that, and uh, at this point, we're farming about 1,650 acres of uh that we own and rent and then do another six to 700 acres of custom harvest and planting. So, and I understand that uh, you studied computer programming, right? Yeah, that I, my, my education when I went, did go to college or tech school was in the computer programming background. Although I never actually had a job as a computer program, or I, I did write some programs in my past, and uh, I actually went to work in industry and uh, worked with a lot of electronics and uh, CNC equipment. So I learned uh, programming and machining uh, with my skills. So. Yeah, how much does that background, your computer programming background, how much does that uh help you today as you farm? Well, I do most of the book work. I do uh, a lot of the GPS-based uh, recording and tracking of our operation. So it, it comes in handy in understanding software or um, just tracking financials. Well, what was the biggest motivation when you first started using cover crops? Can you remember those those early days of implementing them? Well, it was beginning to take off or be the, the talk in, in that area, maybe 2010, 11. You know, we haven't had prevent plant here. I think there had been prevent plant the year before, and a lot of people had done this uh, a little west of us. Our motivation to give it a try is um, in 2012, both my brother and I left our full-time jobs and came back to just full-time farming. And through having some extra time on our hands and educating ourselves on some stuff, we really felt this carbon-based uh, and regenerative way of farming was the cover crops were the next step. No-till got us so far, but we were still experiencing quite a bit of erosion. And that was our main goal that we wanted to accomplish with the cover crop when we started was erosion control. So cover crops and no-till, for you, it's been like the perfect marriage, it sounds like. 
It's worked pretty well for us. I will say, you know, there, there's been some bumps in the road learning things as, as we've went over the years of, of do's and don'ts. And, and actually we've, we've got our fingers swatted the last two years with these, uh, frost late in the, in the May time frame, we've actually had to replant uh, some soybeans the last two years due to the insulation that the cover crops help provide. So, <laughs> so yeah, so there's always challenges that come along with them. Um, just what, what was the biggest eye opener, would you say, um, in your experience with cover crops? One of the things that we found really challenging when we started uh, we signed up with the EQIP program, and, and we were also participating in CSP at that point. But the mandatory seeding rates of the cover crop, we did find were in uh, prohibitive to a, a cash corn bean rotation farmer it, there was so much root mass and uh, uh, just fodder to deal with that uh, after we were done with the program we've really reduced rates but seen the similar effects in erosion control um, and and end up with near a similar biomass when we're done due to tillering for a lot less money and then we don't have quite the issue planting into it the next year and and then what about soil organic matter have you seen that go up since you started using cover crops yeah you know in the 20 plus going on 25 years of of no-till we were lucky if we saw a half percent in the organic matter and those first couple of years we saw uh, were, you know, one of the years the cover crop on the bean ground got to almost six feet tall by the time we planted. It was a wet spring. But in those three to four years of good, well-established cover crops, we'd seen a full 1% increase on the soil test organic matter. And I know some people will debate, well, that's not true organic matter. You know, you're picking up some of the plant residue, but I also counter that as, well, we're always picking up some plant residue and, and you can't pick and choose. I mean, this is the test result. And that was on over a hundred samples. That was the average increase. <laughs> Wow. Well, let's get into your game plan, how you're using cover crops. Just uh, take us through it. When are you planting them? Um, you know, at, at what rates? How are you terminating? If, if you just want to kind of give us the rundown there. Well, we the first year we started this, we just thought we didn't have a grain drill or anything at that time. We tried aerial seeding. And, uh, you know, thankfully it was 
funded by the government because that was almost a total failure for us. It was a very dry fall and hardly anything germinated out of that. After that year, we decided we, you know, we really want to make this work. So we invested uh, in a 30-foot no-till drill. So we spent some bucks and uh, we most years try to get everything established after harvest and then the years that uh, we can't do that or you know the ground freezes up um, I also have my own fertilizer spreader variable rate so I can control my spinner uh, fan speed to get my coverage the way I want and I can spread cereal rye or oats uh oats about 50 feet cereal rye works really good at 60 with my spreader um so we will frost seed in that march time frame we'll wait till the snow is melting and it's not very deep anymore and uh, i'll go out late at night or and into the early morning and uh, do some frost seeding with that. And that has worked very well for us. As far as rates, um, if it's earlier and on bean stubble, we really like to be in that 30, 35 pounds of cereal rye. And uh, as we get later, we'll, we may up, be up to 50 pounds getting towards November or freeze up. And if I'm broadcasting or frost seeding uh, with the uh, fertilizer spreader, then then we do 55 to 60 pounds, and we've had very good catch out of that. It has worked well. Yeah, the spring frost seed. Uh, I, I spoke with someone else who who recommended that method. Just how, why does that work so well for you? And are there any challenges that come along with it? Well, uh, some of the challenges in, in our area is you get along a tree line or down in some valleys, that snow can be pretty deep yet. E- even though, you know, I've, I've went through some deep snow and, and left that uh, cover crop seed on top, we still, in the spring, have had a, a decent catch on that. So even that wasn't prohibitive even though, uh, you know, it took an extra couple weeks for that to get down to soil and, and get that seed to soil contact and germinate. The only other real issue is it's generally colder. So, you know, the, the oil's a little colder. Uh, our conveyor moving that around to, to load the fertilizer buggy, some of that stuff. It's just not as, as nice to do it as when it's a little warmer. But once you've got everything loaded up and you're running, uh, really doesn't make any difference then. So. And, and then you mentioned the, the aerial application. You said that didn't work so well, the one that you did through with the, the help of Equip. Just, just what went wrong there? Why wasn't that a good way for you guys? For us, um, it came to to timing. We got, I think we went almost three weeks after that application before we got any moisture at all. And uh, it just didn't amount to anything for a catch. Now, I, I won't say that it never works. Uh, if you can time that aerial application, within a week window of, of some decent moisture, 
uh, there is a gentleman in the area that tries to line up aerial application. And uh, if you can get that rain within a week time frame, they've had good luck with that. But uh, that whole timing and getting things scheduled caused us to just either steer towards frost seeding or a drill or even uh, a vertical till uh, over something that's been spread with a fertilizer buggy. Uh, there's been excellent results with that too. So I really like seed the soil contact over that aerial and a bunch getting caught in corn whirls and, and not getting down to the ground as soon as it should. Yeah, it sounds like you've, you know, experimented with a lot of different uh, methods of seeding and equipment. Just how important is it to get that right equipment in your arsenal? It's a big part of it. Uh, you can make it work with some other equipment, but then you have to go higher rates. And as we all know, costs are increasing and all of a sudden that cost of seed per acre starts getting prohibitive and so that's where we really like uh, knowing the piece of equipment knowing the rates that work and, and trying to keep our costs in line um, we all need to be profitable at this Let's burn a timeout. Take a moment to thank our sponsor, Verdesian Life Sciences. They have a special message for you. At Verdesian Life Sciences, we believe that supplying healthy water and soil for the next generation is just as important as supplying efficient nutrients for every crop farmers grow. For us, sustainability and profitability go hand in hand. That's why we call ourselves the Nutrient Use Efficiency People. We have dedicated ourselves to providing prescriptive nutrient use efficiency solutions that improve plant uptake and reduce fertilizer losses helping preserve the environment and make the most of your investment. Learn more at VLSCI.com. Now, back to the podcast. You mentioned cereal rye and oats. Any other species you've experimented with? I did a little with uh, dwarf Essex rape, and I did a little bit with hairy vetch. And... I, I do have, if I did frost seed again, I may throw a little clover in with that. Uh, in our geography here, just where we're at, the temperature after harvest and time till freeze up, not very many years after harvest, and, and it, you're pretty much limited to the bean harvest. Uh, I have seeded hairy vetch along with the cereal rye and had what I would call an, a mediocre establishment of that. And if we don't have several weeks of warm growing type weather for that hairy vetch to establish in our terrain, uh, it just seems like you don't get very much of it to overwinter into the spring. And so you're spending a lot of money for almost nothing in return. The dwarf Essex rape, I messed with that. It came. One thing I'm, I'm not real thrilled about is I, I did that uh, twice there and that's been five years ago 
you will still see a rogue couple plants here or there. That stuff is difficult to kill. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, do you guys plant green? Yes, we do. <laughs> um, and then what, what do you use for in terms of termination methods? So you're planting green. Take us through that process. So we are all non-GMO on our corn. So we're still using glyphosate as our primary termination as herbicide. And so we need to spray before that corn emerges. So uh, normally a couple days to a, a week, depending on the year and the temperatures, uh, we'll be running the sprayer across what has been planted to terminate the, the rye. And that has worked really well. On the soybean ground, we'll plant that green. And we're not terminating the cereal rye until the beans are in that uh, V2, V3 range. So that allows us to get a lot more growth on that cereal rye and help with that carbon sequestration and the biology boost. Um, so that has been working well for us other than, like I mentioned, these last two years getting a little ding with having to reseed some from that insulating the soil. We, we had two uh, hard frosts and the cover crop ground no no till was bad and no till with cover crops was worse uh that the ground temperature does not rebound from the sunlight hitting it because it's insulated and so we've lost some stand enough that we're we've had to replant some acres where the guys doing some tillage and having that black dirt did not have to replant and so that's a bit of a frustration we know we're doing the right thing and uh we hope mother nature backs off and and we don't have to continue uh worrying about the replant or really cold weather at the end of may nobody wants that <laughs> yeah hopefully she gives you guys a break i, I know you said it was raining today right Yes, yes it is. Uh, we've been very fortunate this year. We were a little dry, probably that V8 time frame on our corn, but otherwise we've been getting that inch or so a week. Um, so crops are looking pretty good. Well, that's great news. Now, I know there's there's a great feature on you guys, you and your brother, uh, no-tillfarmer.com, shameless plug. It's called uh, On-Farm Research Validates Benefits of No-Till and cover crops. So talk a little bit about some of that on-farm research. Is there a specific uh, trial that you could think of that was really eye-opening or anything you'd like to share? Um, as far as the, <laughs> a, a big thing, and, and this may be of interest to some people, other people not, but um, one of the biggest ones that I think was an eye-opener back when we started doing this. Um, my dad came from full tillage and we have still do custom work for neighbors and had done custom work for neighbors and have now started renting their properties. But the biggest eye opener 
I think for the older generation was giving up tillage there, especially on soybeans. It was night and day where the, 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 the older guys were, it's like recreational tillage. Let's get out there. Let's do something. The soybeans always look better. They're taller. They're darker green. And uh, when we could start, or I could start showing them yield maps consistently year over year, I got them to split fields in half, like only till half of this. And it would be virtually to the line that we were seeing three to five bushel more an acre yield on the soybeans where it was no-till. They didn't look like they were going to win the beauty contest, and the beauty contest doesn't equate to the best yield. And I I think that was the biggest research eye-opener of anything that we have done. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you know, numbers and data don't lie. There's there's no refuting that. No, it is another one that stands out for us is just the uh, we wide drop, or I should say, we use easy drops, and so we split apply our nitrogen, and that's another one that stands out. We have significantly reduced our nitrogen rates. We're down in the 0.6 to 0.7 applied units of M per bushel of yield at this point. Um, I can tell you I actually participate as an agri-gold dealer in some agri-gold tissue testing. And we sat down after the end of the year and the person presenting the data told me out of everybody, and this was 1,100 farms represented, that I had the best nitrogen use efficiency of all these guys. Wow. I don't win the yield competition, but when it comes to ROI, and what's left in my pocket, I'm doing better than a lot of people out there. And that came from some of this field research and, and what does the corn actually need instead of what the university is telling us. Wow, that's interesting. Do you, do you have any specific n- numbers in terms of, or an idea, a rough estimate in terms of specific nutrient returns from cover crops? Like how much uh, nutrient scavenging cover crops are doing for you on your farm? Uh, I I don't have any exact numbers. I will say that as we incorporated cover crops, we've seen our soybean yields increase in that we're returning nutrients later in the season that that our crop normally wouldn't see. As, as a benefit, and uh, I can definitely, on the corn end of things, as planting green, I will throw this disclaimer out there. If you're planting green, you need some kind of nitrate source and nitrogen uh, early with the planter, pre-plant somehow, or you will probably take a yield hit if you're planting green with corn. Um, But on the back end, 
it's releasing a lot of that excess nitrate that it took up early. And uh, I believe that's help, been helping us see our yields continue to increase without applying a, more units of nitrogen. Well, that's a great piece of advice for our listeners out there. Any, any other tips you could share with people that something you've learned over the years that could help someone in their operation? <laughs> there, there's lots of things, but I encourage all everybody to do some in-field, on-farm testing of your own every year of one or two products. Um, everybody has a little bit different way of farming. Uh, not everybody's soil is the same. And so there are small tweaks to all of this, but you need to start somewhere because we can all make a change that's going to add to our bottom line, our ROI. And that's what keeps us all in business. <laughs> that's a good point. But now before we let you go, Myron, anything else you'd like to add or anything new you're looking to try in uh, 2023? So this year in 2022, I became a BW Fusion dealer and very excited to see the yield results this fall. I cannot report on anything there yet, but I will say it is the best tissue analysis I've seen on my farm. So I'm excited to see what harvest brings. And that'll wrap things up for this week's edition of Cover Crop Strategies, the podcast. Thanks to Myron Sealing for joining us. And thanks once again to our sponsor, Verdesian Life Sciences. Check out what they have to offer at VLSCI.com. And thanks to you once again for listening into the podcast. Really appreciate it. And until next time, head to CoverCropStrategies.com. <laughs>